Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Welcome to Gardening Today on News Radio 1040 WHO. Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick here with you this morning. We're talking about all things gardening today, and we're very fortunate today to have as our special guest today Kelly Norris, who is here with the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden, and also just he's just Kelly too, and all of his <laughs> all of his talkings and. Uh, all, all your great things. We're, we're happy to have you here, Kelly. Well, it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we are going to be talking about all the great things that are going on at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. Yes, indeed. And uh, also, we are here to answer any questions you may have. I know it seems... I, mean, it's a li- I felt like it was kind of cold this morning when I went out. And it's not like crazy cold, especially no. for this time of year. But for some reason, it felt really cold maybe I, I wasn't really dressed very well it's not maybe that's what it is I, I didn't feel too bad I, I had a, a very um, happy sign uh, getting out of my truck in the parking lot here there was a bird chirping in a shrub nearby so for hey, me that's just a sign of that nip in the air but birds chirping spring is on the way that's right <laughs> <laughs> well so it may be cold out but uh, there are still of course many things going on in the garden and in our homes related to the garden. We'd love to hear from you if you do have any questions for us. 1-800-469-4295 is the number to call us at. Again, that's 1-800-469-4295. In the local Des Moines area, call us at 284-1040. And you can text us to 515-989-1040. Any way you want to get a hold of us, uh, we have some great folks here to help us answer all of our questions including Kelly. And uh, so, Kelly, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> not <laughs> You've letting, been busy, right? Not letting like, any grass grow under my feet, I yeah. think. Uh, no, it's, uh, you know, this is the time of year when gardeners sort of are hungry. I mean, they're looking for anything to kind of inspire uh, some planting thoughts about what might come in a few months from now. So it's a busy time of year for gardening conferences, and I'm sure you two have probably had, mm-hmm. had uh, your roster uh, full of some of those things, too. So it's... Uh, it's something about every week right now. There's there's a lot of um, a lot of great you know meetings and conferences of both home gardeners and of course our professionals and colleagues in the business too. So it's a busy time of year. People are ready to sort of get planting, and winter's a good time to sort of think ahead of those things. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm curious, Kelly. I I know that the botanical garden has the lovely conservatory there. Mm-hmm. It's it's warm and humid. Do you have a hard time running your gardeners out of there? <laughs> they have work to do outside, but yeah. do, do they find a little too much work to do that well, really needs to be done? Inside. You know, I w- it was interesting because on Friday, uh, I was out uh, just before I left the office Friday evening, and I, I mentioned to you before we went on the air that we have witch hazels in flower mm-hmm. at the garden, which I was even surprised by because, you know, it's we've not had the, the toughest winter by any stretch, but it's right. not exactly been 
mild of temperature lately. I, I mean, I you know, it's still been in the 20s, you know, in the daytime uh, for the last couple of weeks, at least on an average. So I was surprised to see that we had um, had a couple in bloom, uh, which was which was nice. And we have snowdrops poking up. One of my volunteers who has, I think, the earliest snowdrops in town says she's got one in bud as of Friday. Um, and so that but but nothing that far advanced at the garden. There are things up. Um, but, you know, it's a great time to just sort of walk the landscape and study. And when I was out there, I noticed that uh, somebody had done some winter pruning. One of my staff had done some winter pruning because there was a pile of branches and sticks. And I thought, well, this is a good time of year to be thinking about those things. It's a good yes. time of year to be evaluating the structure and the bones mm-hmm. of the landscape. And, you know, there are things in the landscape even now that have, you know, a surprising winter presence. Because, you know, if you're if gardeners follow at least our philosophy, we don't cut anything back until the spring. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. long winter here. we got to leave mm-hmm. something for interest. <laughs> we yeah. got to get some, some remnant to at least inspire some creative thought in the, in the garden in the winter. And so uh, I, I was just enjoying you know just strolling the garden looking at, at what was left and, and how, how really you know a lot of things are holding up uh, pretty nicely and there's mm-hmm. some nice winter color on on evergreens and and those kinds of things out there right now yeah well and i know you get a chance to travel a little bit this time of year in particular because of all those conferences right. all over the place yeah. Have you been uh, traveling? What have you seen uh, out and about here that's been really f- fun? Well, you know, this trend uh, of a mild winter is kind of on, on the whole country right now. I mean, we really, apart from the Pacific Northwest, our friends out there have had kind of a rough winter. They've had, in some ways, our Midwestern winter. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've had some pretty pretty nasty ice storms and some uh, some wet, heavy snow, which they're just not all that equipped to deal with. But I was in uh, New York City last week, and... Um, uh, for a conference at Brooklyn Botanic Garden on Monday and had the chance to uh, walk the High Line on Tuesday afternoon in the snow, which was actually really lovely mm-hmm. um, because it meant there weren't a lot of people up there. So it was, it was sort of just the whole place to ourselves in, in one way. Um, big fluffy flakes and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, you know, just that kind of pretty sort of snow that you don't feel that guilty about liking. So Well, plus um, you were a thousand miles away from home, so you knew you weren't on snow That's duty. That's exactly right. 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 Aaron, so. Aaron knows exactly what this is like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know exactly what this is like. I mean, what Melissa, you do to a public yeah. culture, it's like, it's so long as it's somebody else's snow to clean yeah. up, yes. you're totally fine with it. So it was it was quite lovely. Um, no, and, and so on the High Line on Tuesday, I was, I was stunned to see um, – uh, Helena uh, Hemimelis, uh, one of the great orange zest uh, colored uh, witch hazels, which we have at the garden, and is usually one of the first ones for us to flower. It is still tightly budded here. It was in full glory um, mm-hmm. on the high line. I saw Viburnum bodnatensi in bud on the oh, high line. Wow. I mean, st- this is you know this is a Viburnum, one of our earlier Viburnums, along with you know Viburnum farii that typically for us here in the Midwest would start flowering like. March and mm-hmm. it is there were color in the buds on the highlights. I mean, Very cool. and they're 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 so they're, they're kind of having this sort of like freak out moment. They're going, it's like the first week of February, and there's <laughs> all of this stuff that's really advanced. So snowdrops, winter aconite, in full bloom too. So yeah, it was. Uh, but I tell you, the other thing that's that I saw last week, it really gave me sort of some cause for pause, was. Um, uh, you know the the cornice this time of year. So many of the shrubby cornice are are such great staple plants. That winter color on those twigs is just so incredible. And I was reminded of a variety of uh, dogwood called Midwinter Fire that mm-hmm. I just absolutely love. And I don't have uh, down at the at the garden yet, but it's we're going to plant it this year because I want to see those beautiful sort of technicolor stems. They are kind of almost yellowy golden at the top, and then sort of uh, get darker in hue into almost a pink and orange kind of blend. By 
the time they get to the base. And it's mm-hmm. just absolutely stunning. It seems unreal. It's those, really Those unreal. red twig dogwoods. They, yeah, they, it's unreal. Somebody, you, you would think somebody's out there with a can of spray paint. Truly. But I that's post, the plant. I posted it on Instagram, and mm-hmm. I, had, I had friends going, what is that? Who, who painted those? I mean, because <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. This is the, this is the real deal. And they were, they were looking really good on the high line as well. So a good, good reminder that, you know, even in cold, temperate climates, that mm-hmm. we, can, we can have a lot of good winter interest and structure. There are plants that, that pay the rent more than once and that, that uh, pay and pay it so through the winter. So. Yeah. Well, and it must be nice to visit the High Line when it's not quite so busy because it's pretty much busy all the time well, right it's, here. It's the number one tourist attraction in New York City. I yeah. Mean, I think almost six million people passed yeah. down the High Line last year. We should probably describe for the listeners who don't know what the High Line yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So the, the High Line is um, a former elevated railway that runs through uh, lower Manhattan, uh, kind of through Chelsea and the Meatpacking District, if people know that the neighborhoods in Manhattan a little bit. And uh, this was, the, you know, in, in the era in which rail lines, you know, picked up uh, uh, meat from meat processing plants and textiles and those sorts of things, and they, they ran them sort of elevated over the streets because you know the, in New York City around the turn of the century they they started lifting the railways because mm-hmm. people were you know getting hurt and there were safety issues and so they put these railways up and of course you know a generation several decades later I mean these sort of had lost their relevance a little bit and, a little bit and I don't know now maybe 15 almost 20 years ago probably closer to 15 years ago there was a movement to uh, to save this one remaining section of uh, this elevated railway uh, Rudy Giuliani was still mayor of New York City at the time and and uh, he was in favor of taking it down, and then the election happened, and uh, Michael Bloomberg became mayor, and he became sort of an advocate and a proponent of this. And now, 15 years later, it's basically um, a mile and a half, almost two-mile-long elevated park in the sky. Yeah. And it's, uh, of course, the landscape is a very signature piece of design work by uh, a, a pretty amazing uh, team, James Cornerfield Operations and Pete Odolph, mm-hmm. uh, who famously did the, the planting design, the Dutch designer who's, who's done so much great work uh, uh, for Midwesterners if they've been to Millennium Park, uh, the Lurie Garden in Chicago is another mm-hmm. one of his installations. And so, you know, the, the, the landscape is pretty incredible. And, and I think it's a testament to the fact that it's now the number one tourist destination in New York City. There's obviously some really, you know, earnest, relevant value to having public horticulture in a space where there's not yeah. really a lot of horticulture otherwise yeah. happening. Yeah. So, and people people show that they're they're, they're patronizing. So. And and uh, property value oh, has yes. skyrocketed in that yeah. neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, the div- actually one of the in- from a horticultural standpoint, one of the interesting things that the grounds folks there are dealing with now is um, uh, shade where there was former, you know, because buildings are springing mm-hmm. up all around this thing, mm-hmm. and so shade where there formerly wasn't shade is now an issue and the opposite too a lot of these buildings have glass frontages and so now they have light being reflected into parts of the high line that where there was maybe not that much light before or it's maybe a lot more intense light than what was there before so it's you know the challenges we face in horticulture that is just on a different scale yeah (laughs) well i want to remind folks if you want to give us a call 1-800-469-4295 we're here to answer any of your gardening-related questions. We have to break for a few messages. We'll be back to talk more with Kelly and to answer your gardening questions here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick with you here this morning. We've been talking about all sorts of fun gardening things, and we have a great fun gardener with us here, too. <laughs> Kelly Norris is here. Uh, to talk about what's going on with him, talk about what's going on at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden, and uh, also help us answer any questions you may have 
1-800-469-4295 is the number to get a hold of us at. If you have uh, any text questions that are burning, you can also send us a text to 515-989-1040 is the text number. We love to hear from you any way uh, that you have any questions for us. We know that many of you are probably thinking about uh, what seeds to start mm -hmm. and what kind of fun things because that's just around the corner. Although for most of us, it's at least mid-March for most of the seeds that we're going to be growing that you're going to get started. But I guess if you had like, I don't know, begonias you were starting from seed, you'd Ugh. probably get started with those They're pretty soon. slow. <laughs> <laughs> those are really slow. But uh, most of that stuff only needs about six weeks indoors, so mm -hmm. maybe eight weeks at the most. So we still have some time to get organized for that one. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything really exciting uh, coming up at the – at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden that you guys are planning ahead for right now? Well, we're headlong. Well, we're we're long done with uh, designs for the the summer. We're in mm -hmm. that sort of procurement phase of things. So mm -hmm. we're we're already starting some things uh, now because you know there are some species you know need uh, cold stratification and so need a little chill on those seeds to be able to get them to germinate at a reasonably good levels. So we're we're in that phase of things right now. We we traveled um, over three thousand miles last year and, uh, for field work to collect uh, species uh, in the wild um, for the collections. So which most of those things are perennials and so have a, you know a little different seed germination requirements than and annuals or something like that. So right. that's kind of the phase of, of, you know, propagation that we're sort of looking at right now. But we're uh, revving up our contract growers and getting lists put together and, you know, uh, commitments uh, settled up and all those kinds of things. So it's, you know, it, as both of you know, in, in public horticulture, the, the wheel never stops in that respect. You're, you're headlong into one season uh, as you're already thinking about the next. So yeah. it's going to be going to be a great summer. I, I can I can feel it already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, are you trying out any fun new annuals this year in your display? Anything? Yeah. Well, so this year, we're doing um, we're going to do a sort of temporary meadow installation um, in, uh, and and it sort of is coinciding with our uh, a, a new s a program that we have uh, for kids this summer our first summer camp series um, which people could parents can register for now it's a good time to start making those commitments so you can check all that out on dmbotanicalgarden.com and uh, so that's a first for us and in that space at the kind of the end of the alley and, and sort of in the uh, some of the undeveloped acreage that we have yet and we uh, uh, we're going to do some of those kids activities and things back there and uh, we're going to do uh, this meadow installation so we're going to be growing uh, wheat and oats and some of our our annual grains um, that mm -hmm. of course we we eat and consume on almost a daily basis but uh, probably a lot of people haven't actually seen those plants growing we're also going to be growing um, a really interesting plant uh, that's called sun hemp no relation to <laughs> uh, no relation to hemp proper, but um, um, it's in the genus Crotillaria. Yeah, Crot we, we I've had some experience with sun hemp actually. Surprisingly, really? yeah. Yes. No, but please tell us more. Oh, about I would this. I want to hear what I your know, experience. I know nothing is. about would, it. So it's in the genus Crotillaria, mm -hmm. and Crotillaria is a legume, um, and so this is Crotillaria genkea, and Crotillaria genkea is used in the South as uh, basically kind of a soil builder. So mm -hmm. these tobacco fields, uh, you know, a lot of old uh, former tobacco fields uh, in the south have um, you know they're, they're depleted of a certain uh, nutritional profile they also have tend to have a buildup of root knot nematodes and these mm -hmm. kinds of things and so crotillaria genkea has um, the uh, the interesting distinction of being a plant that can add almost 90 to 100 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet wow in a 90-day growing season and um, in 
some parts of the country, much farther south, uh, where winters are much, much milder, it, this can be a plant that can reseed and, and be a tad bit aggressive. And, mm -hmm. and some members of the genus Crotillaria are, in fact, uh, you know, weeds that are, are, are considered so. But, but the nice thing about what, what we're looking at for this species is, A, we want to really, uh, in, in some areas where we're going to be using it, want to build some soil and want to actually you know, put back some, some biomass and that kind of thing. But uh, we also know that it doesn't start forming seed until a certain point after that 90-day growing season, which for us here in Iowa is going to mean it's going to start to be too cool for those seeds to actively ripen before, before we head into winter. So we're not anticipating that it's going to become you know, a problem for any reason uh, in, in our world here. Um, but it's actually a really beautiful plant. It's about three to four feet tall, has really lovely buttery yellow flowers. Um, it's a, just a, it's a lovely ornamental plant, and it, and it works. There's, uh, you know, one of the things that we're so interested in is, is plants that, that work for us, that can be beautiful and functional mm -hmm. at the same time, and how can we bring those into uh, modern landscape applications and designs. And so we're, we're trying out uh, sun hemp this year, Crotillaria cool. juncaea. So <laughs> how we, it got that name, I don't know. I don't, well, I don't know either. <laughs> we had to actually, this is, there. so like 10 years ago, I think, we had, up, up at Ryman Gardens had done a exhibit on biofuels. Yeah. And for a while, Crotillaria mm -hmm. was being investigated as a potential good source for biofuel. Yeah. I don't know that that went very far. Yeah. But uh, we, <laughs> the thing that I remember the most was we actually couldn't refer to it as sun hemp because it <laughs> was implying something. So uh -huh. we had to call it by another name. Uh, other members of the genus are more commonly called like rattle, rattle box, boxes, I think, yep. or rattle pod. Yep. And so we ended up having to call it That's rattle funny. box because sun hemp was, you know, on a college campus. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it, 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 it sort of it, awesome. con it connotes something it doesn't entirely look different than anything what it, like hemp. Oh, absolutely. Like not no, even it's, it's close, a but yeah, it's yeah. A it does have a very fibrous stem, I think, which is where um, I think it comes from. And maybe it's the yellow flowers that make it sun hemp i don't know yeah but uh it, it is it can be used as a f potential fiber source too. yes so that's yes. where that i think where that common name comes from and uh has nothing to do with the actual you know the actual the quote actual, hemp. Hemp. The actual yeah. hemp no no and i think i think that's also too that that sort of i didn't know that about its biomass or biofuel potential mm. applications, but it's certainly not surprising because the one thing from a soil building standpoint, the plant produces a lot of biomass. I mean, it mm -hmm. is a very yeah. fibrous sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, high biomass kind of plant. And so to, right. in, to let that dry down at the end of the season, to incorporate that into the soil is going to be a really positive thing. So we're excited about it. I think it's a, I think it's going to be a, a beautiful and, and functional sort of storyline to be able to tell our whole theme, if you will, for our summer program is called horticology, and it's the uh, really exploring the interfaces between horticulture and ecology and mm -hmm. how uh, we can have beautiful landscapes that can be very satisfying and that can even provide us food, but that can also be sustainable in, in, in the truest scientific definition of the word and really thinking about how communities of plants come to really function um, as a unit in the landscape. And we do a lot of that already as part of our normal programs in horticulture. We've got areas like the Lourdes and Savannah, our parking lot garden, the hillside garden that are really replications of natural systems. Uh, with a very horticultural sort of prerogative, but 
Uh, so we really feel there's a great interpretive opportunity there for that too. So um, in the same sense, we're, we're also sort of exploring um, uh, a lot of fun annuals uh, that m- might fall into that category. Another one people are going to want to uh, come see is uh, it's an Eryngium. So people know Eryngium like uh, Rattlesnake Master and that mm-hmm. genus of plants. Of course, there's the little Eryngium planums, the little blue ones we've grown uh, as perennials for years. There's actually an annual species of Eryngium that's native to the South Central Plains. You'll find this as a weed, basically, alongside the road in southern Kansas, and it's called Eryngium leavenworthii, and it's Leavenworth's Eryngo, and it has literally just neon purple flowers. They're almost hmm. unbelievable to see to, to see them. I had a colleague in the greenhouse about a month ago. We had a crop growing for seed production, and she was just convinced we'd spray-painted them. And That's <laughs> not what they are at all. They're, they're truly legit. And so uh, beautiful, beautiful, stunning annuals. Uh, so we'll be pulling those out, too, and people will think we're spray-painting stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's, you know. Horticultural some... theater. Exactly. exactly. It makes people take notice, and that's what it's all about. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Well, I want to remind folks out there that uh, we have some information on our website at whoradio.com, including ways to contact Kelly and some more information about that as well as uh, some always some fun pictures and some other things up there, too. So you can always go to whoradio.com to learn more about that. We are going to have to break for the national news. We'll be back to talk more with Kelly. I want to remind folks, 1-800-469. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casinos style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com podcast that's indeed.com podcast terms and conditions apply nine 4295 is the number to call us at if you have any questions. You can also send us a text to at 515-989-1040. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on Gardening Today, News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today, Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick with you this morning. We have our special guest here too. Kelly Norris is here from the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden, and we, of course, have been talking about all the great things that are going on at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden, but we also are answering questions, and Rob joined us over the break here with a question, so let's talk to Rob. Good morning. You're on WHO. Good morning. 
thanks for taking the time. You're really breaking the ice of winter with a garden show. <laughs> yeah, we always we always try, you know, Rob. What can we help you with? Uh, we're in our 70s and uh, early 70s, but we live on an acreage, and we have about 50 gardens, and we're really running into more and more poison ivy every year that is going to really diminish our gardening experience if we can't get it under control. Mm-hmm. We don't want to spray a lot of the heavy stuff that would kill flowers and shrubs. Can mm-hmm. you help me? So is this stuff rambling or climbing things? A little both. Okay. So most of the time when we're dealing with poison ivy, we often recommend kind of a stump treatment type of approach. So this is where you find, you know, usually it's rambling up something and this makes it relatively easy. So you can cut it off, maybe remove just a little bit of section to get out of the way, of course, wearing gloves and all that stuff. Full protective gear. Yeah, long (laughs) sleeves, all that. And then uh, treating the stump with... uh, Something that is labeled as a shrub killer or a brush killer, usually it has a combination of glyphosate, mm-hmm. triclopyr, and maybe dicamba, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some other things. But uh, treating it with something like that, as so once you cut the stump off, you, you either spray or dab it. Sometimes people will put like a... Sponge. A sponge on the Mm -hmm. end of their sprayer, and then you can uh, wet the sponge with the sprayer and dab it on. It sounds like you have quite a bit of it, so that Mm -hmm. might work really well for you. Uh, But kind of tackling it that way. Now, when it rambles around, it's a little bit harder because it will root in and and some of those Mm -hmm. things too. So, um, But pulling it is not, you know, usually we'd say, oh, just go out and pull, you know, X weed, but not poison ivy yeah it'll, <laughs> so it'll it'll encourage it and anything for creepy charlie <laughs> <laughs> so again with creeping charlie i i've always um recommend a a kind of multi-pronged approach so you're going to go out you're going to remove as much as you can um and then wait to see after a couple of weeks what comes back and then you'll hit it with with a herbicide uh, usually something with Again, a mixture of like uh, glyphosate and dicamba is always very nice, or 2,4-D and dicamba. You can mm-hmm. usually find that mix pretty easily. That tends to hit it fairly hard, but it will take more than one application to get rid of well-established creeping well, charlie, mm-hmm. and it will be an annual thing because, you know, unless your neighbor is just as vigilant about it, it will yeah. likely show itself up again. Yeah, it's in the country, and it's a non-ending <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. And you know, the other thing to keep in mind, especially with something like Creeping Charlie, is that it tends to grow in places where turf isn't very happy. So under the shade of trees and those types of things. And that's going to be, that kind of adds an extra layer of complicated uh, or complication because uh, ideally what you would do is remove the Creeping Charlie and then introduce something that that outcompetes it. Well, there's not very much that will outcompete it in a lot of shade. In the full sun, turf can outcompete it, but uh, in the shade, that's really tough. And so that adds another layer on that can make it kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Good work. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the call, Rob. Now, there were two things I wanted to, to mention about poison ivy. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Num- number one, it is a native plant and it is a mm-hmm. good. Um, a habitat birds can nest, and I think they eat the berries. I believe yes, they amazing do. fall colors. That's so part of the reason why it gets spread around so much. Exactly. Is. So it's in in all cases, just because you see poison ivy, it doesn't mean it has to be removed. 
of course, if it's where you're going to be enjoying your garden, that that can be um, an issue and you may not want it around there. But the other thing I wanted to mention is there is a product that I swear by. It's called Technu. Oh. Mm-hmm. And have you heard of Technu? T-E-C-H-N-U. I may have it at home. Yeah. Because I have a lot of poison ivy. Yep. I deal with yep. a lot of poison ivy. By, by the home. gallon almost. And what Technu is, it is a, a pre-treat and a post-treat for your skin. If you know you're going to be going out pulling poison ivy or working in it, you, you put it onto your skin and it helps block and deactivate the oils and poison ivy that cause the allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, if your dog gets in it, you can rub them down with Technu. It's it's oily, so it's kind of mm-hmm. gross, but it, it deactivates the, the poison ivy. Um, you can also wash your clothes in it if you think you might have it all over your clothes. <laughs> so it is a it is a handy product. Now, if you've, um, you can use it before, and if you've been in it and you didn't know you were going to get in it, you can use it afterwards. Um, don't wash your skin first. Put the Technu on, rub it in, let it sit for a minute or two, and then you can wash your skin off of that, just deactivating those oils. Yeah. And, um, it yeah. works pretty well. It's tough stuff to deal with. I've always managed it in my my yard because uh, you learn to identify that that little seedling and you Mm -hmm. use gloves and you get it out as soon as you see it because Mm -hmm. uh, if you let it get too big or if you and this has happened with me too like I didn't notice it on the back side of this tree Mm -hmm. and then I walk around and I look up and it's full of it and that's where the stump treatment can work really well uh, when you have to deal with that and and you know it's funny most of the time one of the, and this is actually a recommendation or could be a recommendation for Creeper and Charlie too, and that is don't worry about it. Yep. Uh, it does have pretty blue flowers. It's got an interesting smell. It does really well where it does really well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could not worry about it. Now, that's not always an option for people, and that's <laughs> not, that's rarely an option <laughs> for poison ivy. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, dealing with uh, having, wearing long sleeves, wearing gloves, cleaning your tools when you're yes. done. Yeah. Uh, all of that stuff can help, but so can um, having a good backup like Technu. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a good emergency uh, emergency situation there. So yeah. hopefully that helps out Rob in his quest to get rid of poison ivy. You know, the quest to get rid of of creeping Charlie is one that many people go through, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know. You probably don't deal with a lot of this at work, do you? No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> not. not. That's the, that's for the next director of horticulture. <laughs> um, only because, in some ways, you know, a lot of our soil profiles were designed. I mean, so we, mm-hmm. you know, we had the chance to sort of, um, you know, we're, we're working with the soil plane that, in some ways, doesn't have an established seed bank. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it's still accruing that over. So, I mean, over time, it's probably mm-hmm. likely that that those some of those species will introduce themselves. Um, you know, we also we have a lot of what I would consider competitive-based um, ecological systems. I mean, things like the savanna, the parking lot, things where they're very dense grass matrices that really hold this sort of thing in place. So unless there's an opportunity that's created mm-hmm. for those species to grow, I don't really right. anticipate that we're going to see them in, in most areas of the garden. I mean, it right. doesn't exclude the fact. I mean, an opportunity is an opportunity to a weed, and so it doesn't take a whole lot to get hold. But I mean, for the most part, I, I hope that we're excluding some of those things by virtue of how we've thought about the planting ecology. Right, so. right. Mm-hmm. Well, we had uh, Nell. Is it Nell or ne- Neil? Neil. Neil. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I need to get gases. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. You have some suggestion for poison ivy. Yeah, I've been battling. I've got an acreage south of town and been battling it the last few years. And, you know, you're just a little sponge, but then you carry your little container around and you tip that over. I came up with the idea that I took a, like a shoe polish bottle, dump out the shoe polish, rinse that out, and fill that with your uh, Roundup or whatever you're going to use. And that way, once you cut the stem, you've got this little dauber thing that doesn't tip over and spill all the time. So it's worked really Mm -hmm. well for us. 
Good. Yeah, I like yeah. that idea. Yeah, And I've actually bought a product. I think I bought it at Earl May. I can't remember the name of it, but it came with a little spongy wand mm-hmm. in it oh, for, right. for the cut and treat. Um, so we you dab it onto your, your stob. Mm-hmm. And I can't... I, <laughs> I can't remember what yeah. it was called. <laughs> I have to maybe I'll Google it and we'll, we'll mention yeah, so you it. One of those, I think it was like you know for a buck you can buy one of those bottles of the white shoe polish. Yep. And right. Just dump that out and put it whatever mix. That way you can control whatever mix you want to use. Right. I just carry it with us when you're out there. And if you see something, boom, you sniff it and take the cap off and boom, boom, and you've got it done. Got it yep. done. I yep. like it, Neil. Thanks. Okay, and enjoy everybody at the Blues the Botanical today. <laughs> you, we gave us a plug, Neil. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we're amid our Botanical Blues season right now, which is, uh, of course, uh, one of the great signature events that we have uh, mm-hmm. all winter long, uh, 2 p.m. this afternoon. Uh, of course, today's a big one because, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there. There's some game going on, I hear, this afternoon. But for those <laughs> those people not watching that game um, and they want to come down to the conservatory <laughs> and uh, uh, take in uh, the warmest place in town and uh, some fantastic blues music, we've got Tina Haas Finley and her husband Brandon uh, oh, down cool. there who sort of have a, a following and reputation for being some pretty serious blues music- musicians. Uh, they'll be down at the conservatory kicking off at uh, 2 p.m. So. Well. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, and that sounds like a lot of fun. I hope folks can go out and see that. And uh, we also had uh, John join us. And since we've been talking about vines, I want to get to John's question here before we take our break. Good morning, John. You're on WHO. Hey, um, I'm going to plant some, uh, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to plant some vines that will grow on a trellis. Uh, this summer, and I'd like something that's a perennial. What do you have in mind? Oh, so you, you're looking, well, not poison ivy, of course. <laughs> it depends on how you feel I, I about your neighbors. Know. If it grows well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> He's very open minded. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't discriminate. Yeah. So you need some suggestions for perennial vines. Are we in full sun, part shade? What's the condition uh, part like? Part shade. Part shade vine, okay. Actually, poison ivy would probably do really yeah. well in that situation. But uh, okay, well, Melissa, uh, yes. Kelly, what, what what do you guys suggest I, for John? If you if you want easy, easy, fast growing, nice flowers yeah. in the fall, mm-hmm. there's a plant called sweet autumn clematis. Oh, I mean, yeah. it is just about foolproof. Um, grows super fast. Great perennial. Okay. Um, it doesn't get the big giant clematis flowers that are kind of the 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 signature for the clematis family um but but it does get covered in a little snowy layer of little Mm -hmm. white flowers in fall that are just absolutely delightful so that would be my go-to and if and if you want uh find somebody who's been growing it for about 10 years they will have seedlings for you yes guaranteed or root pieces what (laughs) would you do (laughs) kelly's more advanced he can do much more well my my first thought was actually to um a plant called chocolate vine which is oh yeah yeah. uh, this plant Akibia, right? which is in the genus Akibia, yeah. Akibia mm-hmm. quinata, and quinata. Uh, if, if you can, if you know anything about Latin, has a little sort of like five-parted leaves. They're really, they're really cool looking. Um, and actually, so Melissa's choice flowers in the fall. This flower is in the spring. Really mm-hmm. interesting, kind of mm-hmm. odd, exotic looking flowers. It's but you, totally you have to hardy. appreciate it up close. Oh yeah, I mean they're mm-hmm. these chocolate. Gets they're, 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 by the flower, yeah, they're or these, the foliage and stuff. Right, they're yeah. these sort of could, chocolate. Could you, could you combine those? 
Actually, you probably yeah. could. I mean, akebia yeah. isn't quite as vigorous in the. I mean, it's it's a fine growing plant, but it's. I mean, I mean, sweet autumn clematis is, is a racehorse. Swamp. I mean, yeah. and you know, akebia, you know, is just out for a jog. So I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, the two of them together actually could be quite functional because they're complementary and, and opposite seasons and uh, different textures. Different textures, and you know, at the end of the day, if the sweet autumn sort of gets out of hand, you can just sort of chop it back, and it won't it won't sort of bat a lash. So, yeah, um, yeah that that would be sort of an interesting mm-hmm. kind of spring mm-hmm. and fall. Yeah. sort of end cap there for your trellis. We should mention the uh, chocolate vine is not related to any chocolate that you eat. Not at all. Not, not the no. same. Oh, so it's not an edible thing. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I think it gets the name from maybe the color of the flower. I actually think the, the fruits are edible. I'm, the fruits, they're kind of like a pudding texture, but but you're going to have to seriously grow a lot of them to get any sort of well, measurable amount. Yeah, it's pretty tiny. It's, we're, we're talking <laughs> ornamental here. I we're going to be growing that many. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. All right. Well, hopefully that gives you a place to start, John. Maybe we'll talk a a little bit more here after the break. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for the call. And we do need to take a break. We'll be back in just a couple minutes here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040 WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick here with you talking about all things gardening with Kelly Norris of the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. And just before the break, John had called in with some suggestions about vines, mm-hmm. which got this group talking a lot about vines. <laughs> and one, we really do like chocolate vine or akebia, all of us do. And I think the thing I love about it is, as Kelly so nicely s- described it, it's not a sprinter of a vine. It's more of a jogger. It's a jogger. A yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still fairly aggressive because that's, that's what vines do. But yeah. it's not like uh, trumpet creeper. Or mm-hmm. sweet autumn clematis, right? Or some of these others that can get really out Bananas. of hand if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the other one we talked about quite a bit uh, just before the, we came back here was wisteria, and it looks like Bob joined us too. So let's see what's on Bob's mind first. Good morning, Bob. You're on WHO. Yes, I'm calling in regard to different varieties of wisteria. Mm-hmm. I have one known as a Chinese wisteria. It's been planted for the 11 years this year. Wow, it's bloomed, growing as a tree. Oh, cool. And it probably, I haven't trimmed it last spring, so branches or whatever you call it, or stems, are mm-hmm. probably maybe 12 foot long. Well, that, hey, where are you at? In Are you in Iowa? I'm in Carlisle, right outside the Oh, in Carlisle. Right. Okay. okay, so, you know, Chinese wisteria, especially the further north you go, isn't always as reliably hardy, but if you can find a good spot for it, which it sounds like, Bob, you have. It gets sunlight, uh basically late morning and afternoon. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. One thing to, to keep in mind when it comes to the Asian types of wisteria um, is the fact that they do have potential to be invasive. Now, I grew up in Alabama and uh, learned gardening in the southeast. And if you ask anybody from that neck of the woods, they will tell you that the Asian wisteria is a big no-no. It's beautiful, but it is horribly invasive. And um, that's because the, the winters are warmer. It can mm-hmm. seed better, um, and the seeds overwinter and, and sprout, and it goes into the woods and so on and so forth. Now, I have seen wisteria here. We were talking over the break. I've seen the Asian wisterias here in the Midwest that don't seem to be seeding out um, because the winters are colder. But um, keep in mind that our, our over time, our winters are getting warmer. Right. Uh, global warming. I'm, I'm, I ascribe to that um, that science. And so wisteria that isn't a problem now could someday become a problem. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind and be very responsible when it comes to deciding to plant an Asian wisteria in your garden. Well, that it yeah. could be an issue someday. 
excuse me, are the roots and base of his ball or just the seeds? Well, they, wisterias in general do tend to sucker um, a little bit, mm-hmm. but again, I think I think the trend right now on a lot of these these um, Asian wisterias is that at this at least at this juncture, at, you know, zone five A, five B, wherever you know you sort of fall in here around the metro area, you know, is our winters are probably still cold enough, and probably even more so is that our growing season actually isn't long enough for those seeds right. to ripen and mature. So yeah. you, you know, your mm-hmm. your wisteria is certainly flowering; well, it's certainly attempting to produce seed, but whether they're actually viable or not at this point. Flowered in the all the years it's been there's never done anything except just leave out. Oh, oh and, and oh, finally did, and finally did. I hear that a lot with wisteria. Uh-huh. I've had it for years I've, and it never flowers. So yeah. I say get the shovel. What's a good so trim it back in early spring to maybe about half the size it is now, or yeah. What do you recommend for that? Well, most most wisterias aren't don't they flower on old wood? Um, yeah. So you don't you wouldn't want to trim it in the spring because because what's going to happen then is that the buds that were set on the that those branches the year prior, if you go cutting them in the spring, you're taking away the buds that would flower. So the the best time to do some of that work would be later in the growing season after that sort of summer flowering phase because because that's you're going to be able to then trim out branches or crossing right. branches at that point that um, haven't set flower buds yet mm-hmm. and any new growth that comes on would be able to set flower buds before the winter and things that go then till summer before i trim it back yeah i right so oh, i think trimming on the but not too late in the summer because it will late. set right yeah, yeah. No, like right right late. after kind flowering kind of give right. it a haircut yep okay yep. now yep. i have a question i have two other ones as well uh-huh. No one is Blue Moon Kentucky Wisteria. Yep. Yes. Amethyst Falls. Yes. Yep. Those and that was so that let's let's yes. give those a plug because those so what you're talking about there that's amethyst that's uh, Wisteria frutescens that's our Native American Wisteria we've got one, um, uh, and they're quite lovely in fact we were all ch- talking about we 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 name checked those varieties and we have Amethyst Falls uh, I think both at Ryman Gardens uh, Aaron yeah. does, and then at the uh, Botanical Garden here downtown and um, you know these are are again uh, to use the the sprinting versus jogging analogy these are these are joggers they're, they're they're not nearly as um, they don't do not have the propensity to be as aggressive as maybe some of the Asian wisterias do, um, and the flowers you know are, are really really quite nice. Um, they're elegant. Um, are they mm-hmm. as sort of classically kind of exotic and tropical as maybe the Asian wisterias? Well, that's subjective, I suppose. But um, you know they're very nice and they're really and so they're actually remarkably cold hardy given mm-hmm. their southern provenance. And so which uh, is the which is the more floriferous of the two I mentioned? Well, I would say from our experience, amethyst fall blooms very early on i mean so i mean one of the things as we were mentioning about wisterias is that sometimes uh, some species don't flower reliably until they've gotten a lot older and amethyst falls flowers at a very young age so i Mm -hmm. I, that's that's sort of has my personal sort of um, thumbs up on that okay so amethyst falls would probably be the best then for bloom and, and also yeah. the easiest to find. Probably. Right, um, right, it's, right. it's a very, very uh, popular cultivar yeah, it out is. there. I found both of them, but um, so I would check. So. Yeah, so hopefully that, that helps you out a little bit there, Bob. I think the other go-tos for when things aren't flowering like you should be, things like uh, too fertile, mm-hmm. and wisteria would certainly suffer from that if, if the soil was, was too nice. Uh, it would have too nice where it is, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there, that will help, too. So um, uh, making sure it has enough sun, which it sounds like it does. Uh, some of these uh, do need quite a bit of uh, time, too. Sometimes mm-hmm. time is just needed, okay. although... Uh, how long have you had it? Well, to be- With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 11 years this year that's been in the ground. We're getting close to a point to, here, I think. The size of, a, size of a fence post, one of that... Uh, one of the black fence posts, so you can imagine how thick the trunk is. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to have to break right, here for you. the national news, Bob, yeah. but uh, um, uh, we'll we'll kind of talk a little bit more about this after the break, too. All right. Too. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. And uh, we'll be back here after the national news on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040 WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today, News Radio 1040 WHO. Aaron Style with Melissa Burdick here this morning. We've been talking about all sorts of fun gardening things today. Along with us here this morning is Kelly Norris. Oh, excuse me, Kelly Norris with the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. I'm we didn't scare him away the first hour. <laughs> well, we've got we've had a few calls. We've been, we've been on a vine kick this morning. Yeah, we have. You never whoever, know what it's going to be. Whoever would have thought we'd be talking about vines? You know, well, it's, it's, it's a fun a topic. topic. Yeah, it's a good topic. And uh, so, thank you for being here, Kelly. He is here uh, talking about some of the great things that are going on at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden as well as some of the other interesting things he has come across here in his travels and, and some other things. So we're happy to have him here. I want to remind uh, folks here this morning that uh, if you do have any calls for us, 1-800-469-4295 is the number to call us in. Again, that's 1-800-469-4295. In the local Des Moines area, call us at 284-1040. That's 284-1040. You can send us a text to 515-989-1040. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, answer any of your questions. We had Phil join us here just now, so let's go straight to his call. Good morning, Phil. You're on WHO. Good morning. I am a fruit variety collector. Uh, I like to graft numerous kinds of apples onto one mother tree. We call them Frank trees. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I am looking for some pear varieties, some old Iowa State varieties that uh, were introduced in the 20s and 30s. Okay. And I was wondering if any of our or your listeners would have uh, either Byersmith or Patton pear. Say the the first one again. Byersmith. Byersmith. And you said the other one was Patton. Right. Interesting. You know, that's a really interesting question, um, looking for old varieties of things, because we hear a lot about what's new, but then we also hear about heirloom varieties, lots of mm-hmm. tomato varieties and or, or squash or peppers, things like that. But it's harder sometimes to find those heirloom fruit trees because... People plant a, f- a fruit tree, they may not remember the name on it and certainly yeah. may not remember it 40 or 50 years later. Um, and then they may go out of style as new hybrids come on and cultivars come on. So that is an interesting topic. And, and I, I don't and, know if there's any so heirloom. It's important f- that we save that, uh, save that genetic yeah. material. That it, it's just critical, especially with our fruit trees, because they do take so long to mature. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, if folks do know um, where they may have some of these this, these heirloom varieties, uh, I think uh, Phil would certainly be interested, yeah. I guess. Um, I know that uh, locally, um, 
I don't know of any, you know, most of the, of the, I wish there was somebody, you know, the only one that's not represented here today is the Iowa Arboretum. They've been around a little bit longer. They mm-hmm. might, right. <laughs> right. most of us are relatively new uh, gardens in, in terms of the last 20, 25 years. And so we don't have as many of these heirloom things yeah. maybe sitting around. Usually botanical gardens are really good about keeping track of that stuff. Right. Whereas home gardeners, you know, you sell your house or you inherit mm-hmm. a tree, you never know exactly what it might be. And even if you did plant it, 40 years later, often you don't remember the exact name of mm-hmm. that, unless it was something that's really easy to remember, like Bartlett, when it comes to yeah. pears. Well, one of the things they say about pears is uh, you plant pears for your heirs. Mm. Because they, they, I like that. I, I collected a variety of pear from a, an abandoned farmstead that I've been watching for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and the pear is about an inch and a half, and it's circular, and it's just to die for sweet and tasty. Oh. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very, mm-hmm. very late pear. Mm-hmm. Uh, ripens in November. Oh, very good. And cool. just don't, I mean, even looking through ARS catalogs, there's no no description or name for this pear. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of stuff that I'm looking for is just, sure. you know, very unusual and uh, uh, would also take uh, peri pears if uh, we have those too, yeah. which are pear cider pears. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, one one organization that could be a resource for you would be the Seed Savers. Now, they focus more on fruits and or, or on vegetables. Um, but they have been expanding the seed their Seed Savers have days. an enormous, mm-hmm. enormous yeah. uh, selection up there. And their yeah. network is what would yes. probably be a very good resource for you, keying into yes. those old farmsteads. Just like you said, old farmsteads are where you're going to find these things. They've just been sitting there for years. And um, they may be able to key you into the right people and, and right homeowners. Yeah, if if people have these things, we're only looking for a six inch uh, piece of new growth. Sure, mm-hmm. yep. all that we take off the tree. Right, right. So. All right. Well, thanks for calling in. That's a fascinating hobby. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Phil. All right, and and you know there are some sources online that have some of the more the the equivalent of the. Um, Brandywine tomato mm-hmm. uh, types of heirlooms in terms of being readily accessible maybe, or mm-hmm. more accessible and uh, a little bit easier to find. But treesofantiquity.com uh, mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. quite a few heirloom mm-hmm. fruit trees. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure Phil has already uh, maybe investigated some of the online mm-hmm. sources. But for some of you who may be spurred in and interested in something like this, finding older varieties of things like pears and and apples and other fruit trees, uh, that would be a place I would start with. Of mm-hmm. course, I have to throw out there, in particular for apples, uh, but also for pears, sometimes these varieties disappear mm-hmm. uh, for other reasons in that they are very uh, disease-prone. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these varieties are really prone to, for pear, things like fire blight can be really awful, um, and newer varieties are often developed partially, if not wholly, to be more resistant to some of these diseases naturally, and so you do have to keep an eye out, maybe be a bit more uh, conscious of that as you manage these trees into the future, because they may be more, especially the apples, more prone to things like black spot, mm-hmm. um, um, powdery mildew, uh, some of these other really common apple diseases so you have to be careful of that with these trees but then usually they produce so much fruit sometimes you can still get something off of them right and hopefully you can enjoy them 
even if they do have some of those issues. Yeah, you know, Aaron, there was one other resource that I thought of, um, mm-hmm. the Center for Historic Plants, which is based out of Monticello, oh. uh, Thomas Jefferson's home. They, they, it's it's fruits and vegetables and flowers, his, historic varieties. But I think that um, through their the orchard there at Monticello, they may be able to provide some resource or some direction to fill. Cool. All right. Well, we had Kate join us, too. Let's see. I think, Kelly, you're going to be able to answer Kate's question. (laughs) Good morning, Kate. You're on WHO. Hey, good morning, everybody. And I also wanted to say how fun and educational the Learning on Saturday series is at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. It's my third year of doing it, and I just love it. Thank you for the plug, Kate. You bet. (laughs) More people. That's right. uh, I did have a question regarding small and miniature conifers. Mm. that are outside mm-hmm. in Iowa, and I was just curious what the botanical garden does to protect those uh, if they need to do anything with them. We, we largely don't do anything. I mean, one of the things, uh, you know, so Kate, for visitor, or for excuse me, listeners who might not know what Kate's referring to, we have our uh, the Rutledge Conifer Garden behind the, the building. Uh, it's a conifer a garden in a, in a gravel garden context, and so there's a number of specimens out there. And, you know, one of the things for a lot of dwarf conifers, particularly when they're young, is just making sure, you know, depending on the variety and, you know, what species uh, it is, um, that, you know, maybe has some initial winter protection in that first winter that it's getting established. Uh, we, for example, have a Japanese umbrella pine out there, Cyadopitus, which is a little marginal for this part of the world, um, <laughs> uh, but is, uh, you know, if well sighted, it can do just fine. And that very first year, you know, we wrapped that tree just to make sure it didn't suffer any uh, undue winter injury. And uh, But really beyond that, and a couple of other tr- uh, specimens that we wrapped that first year just to kind of get them through, you know, a lot of dwarf uh, and miniature conifers are really just, you know, branch sports of otherwise, you know, hardy, pretty durable species. Um, so uh, for the most part, now, now here's the only other caveat I would make to that is that if you're growing dwarf conifers or miniature conifers in troughs or in some kind of, you know, uh, container like mm-hmm. that, you know, you mm-hmm. want to be conscious that that container doesn't become an ice cube tray in the winter mm-hmm. and uh, you know you can wrap it in burlap you can the base of it in burlap you can bring it into your garage for the winter if it's unheated or something it's still important for those trees to go through a cold period and surprise you'd be surprised in some of the like uh, i'm thinking of a i've got a ponderosa pine bonsai in the collection and it, it's actually overwintering outside in its bonsai pot this year because it's very 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 hardy and it's able to handle that and so you know we're 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 certainly conscious of, you know, when we do that, of what, what species it is and, and what ability it has to, to handle that kind of uh, potential winter, uh, those winter conditions. But, um, you know, for the most part, you know, a lot of dwarf and miniature conifers that we would grow in our gardens here are, are, are quite hardy. You know, the Iowa Arboretum has a, has a good and growing dwarf conifer collection. Yes, they do. In, yeah. um, right near their front entrance. And mm-hmm. so they, they probably know some ins and outs. But, you know, to reiterate what Kelly just said, they, these trees come from very, very cold regions of the world. And so they, they don't need much TLC. They may be tiny, but they're mighty. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, I appreciate that reassurance. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Kate. You bet. All right, with that, we got to take our next break. We'll be back to talk more gardening and answer more of your gardening questions here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick with you this morning. And in the studio with us th- today is Kelly Norris from the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. So we've been, you know, 
answering questions this morning. It's been lots a lot of good of fun. questions. Lots of good questions. We had a couple of folks send us some uh, texts uh, too, so I want to address those while we have a little moment here. And uh, TJ and Creston asked us if older houseplants have a life expectancy. Um, he has quite a list of fig trees and rubber trees and philodendrons and corn plants and palms and all sorts of stuff that he's held on to for, in some cases, nearly 20 years, some of these wow. plants, which is really cool. And uh, they're all pretty much tropical plants. And uh, I don't know what you guys think. From me, my standpoint, I would say the only thing that puts a life expectancy on most house plants is either one of two things. It either gets too big for your house mm-hmm. or you get really tired of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, otherwise, yeah, a, lot of those, leggy. a lot of those species that you mentioned are typically fairly long-lived plants in, in, um, in their native tropical environments. Right. So, I mean, they'll... Uh, uh, I always joke about a certain number of things is, is that they always outlast their keepers. So, um, you know, the, there's um, many, many pass-along houseplants out there in yeah. houses uh, all over the world where yeah. grandma's such-and-such got passed on or something. So, yeah. yeah. So, One of the, T- oh. TGA, I think the 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 take-home message here is practically speaking, no, they don't have a life expectancy. They'll They'll be with you until you're tired of them. Or you don't have room for them anymore. Luck- luckily, nobody's going to get prosecuted for dumping something in the compost. So uh, if, you're, yeah. if you're just over it, you know you can <laughs> yeah. you, you can do the deed. And you know, I find a lot of, of people with their houseplants, they're afraid to cut them back. Um, oh, and there mm-hmm. are so many, even the the trunk forming, cane forming kinds like um, like the like corn dracaena, corn, corn dracaena mm-hmm. or dragon plant, mm-hmm. um, uh, dumb canes, Chinese. You can cut them back, and they will resprout and grow, and that can really help you maintain the size. So, don't be afraid. And if something doesn't come back. They're a cheap house plant. Go to the grocery store and buy another one if you really want another one. Yeah. So. Now, I if it's an heirloom, if it was your mom's, you yeah, know, that's a different story. And so. I think there's a lot of stories like that, yeah. too, where you inherit it from somebody or it was a gift uh, from a, f- a funeral or something yes. like that. We get yeah. a lot of, and so folks really do want to hold on to them as long as they can. And for the most part, as long as you can provide enough light and you don't overwater them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do a little root pruning now and then. Yeah. It's going to be necessary. So to- how do you do that? Um, usually, well, there's different ways. If it's small enough, if I can handle it physically myself, um, I'll pull it out of the pot or tip it over, pull the pot off of it mm-hmm. and um, take a, a a hand saw or something good and sharp and just scrape down the sides by an inch to two inch, depending on how it, how big it is, and then just repot it and put it right back in with a fresh kind of outer layer of potting soil and it'll, it'll do all right. Um, other things, I have um, experienced uh, potted houseplants that are so large there's no getting it out of the pot. It's too big, too tall, you can't tip it over. And in that case, what you can do is you can drill cores um, three to five cores around the root ball, the top of the root ball, drill it down, remove that soil. Roots will come with it. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Drill down, um, core it out, and then pack those holes back in with some potting soil. And just give, basically, you, you're giving the roots some new place to go um, sure. and reinvigorating them. Fresh new roots uh, can take up moisture much more effectively and, and help invigorate the plant. Boy, that's a plant that's been around for a while, though. Yeah, we had some monster <laughs> hibiscus um, at Lauritz and Gardens, and uh, they were just enormous. The biggest I had to ship in pots from Brazil. That was the biggest pots I could find, and and um, hmm. and they were uh, massive, and um, they were too big to take out and, and pot up. You couldn't pot up anymore. They weren't. They didn't get any bigger than that, and um, so they they were hard to deal with. But you had to do that. You had to reduce the tops to give them new space to grow, and you had mm-hmm. to reduce the bottoms to give them 
new places to grow roots. <laughs> it was it was it was a lot of work. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked it. They were beautiful. All right. So that's that's good. I you know, I honestly I've never root pruned my house plants. You haven't? No. And they're fine. Just fine. They're fine. Okay. Yeah. You got so the magic touch. I get oh well or it's called I a green know. thumb. Maybe they'd be happier if I did it. I don't know. Well, uh, the other person that uh, we also had, Laurel, in Jasper County, uh, send us a text. And uh, they were wondering, actually, we were talking about this one off break, too. Uh, going back to our vine discussion. Yes. And um, <clears throat> Laurel asks, um, they, has any, is anyone familiar with a silver vine, um, uh, Actinida, the hardy kiwi, um, which is reportedly uh, irresistible to cats, which I hadn't heard. I've never heard that either. That I don't know. I don't don't know know. about that one. But is it possible to grow this in Iowa? It absolutely is. We (laughs) were discussing uh, some notable specimens that we know to be across the state. These are uh, these hardy kiwis uh, produce uh, fruits, uh, produce kiwis in the way that that you would you would imagine that they might. Um, They're quite hardy. Zone four in Mm -hmm. in some cases. Mm Beautiful. Uh, so keep in mind, these are dioecious. There's male and female, uh, uh, you know, versions of this species, and uh, white foliage, this sort of dappled white foliage, that emerges kind of with a pink blush, and then um, kind of goes through this changeling effect. It's a really, really handsome uh, ornamental feature and quite vigorous. On the if if um, if chocolate vine, the akebia we mentioned earlier, is a jogger. Uh, this one is certainly a sprinter. Uh, it is. It's. Comp- it's vying uh, for uh, for first race position. It's. It's a fast one. Yeah. So, and if you do want the little kiwis, you got to make sure you get a male and female. Although usually the named mm-hmm. varieties are sold that way, or is it? I you- think so. I think, and I think, I think primarily the the the, the one we're speaking of in foliage standpoint is a male cultivar. Yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there are there are of course female forms of the of the species. The male is is the the showier, I think, from an ornamental standpoint of this hmm. of this species. Cool. Yeah, we have one on the uh, the orientation kiosk at the Brenton Arboretum, and it does beautifully. Although I will say, because of that white the white tinge to the foliage, it is a little susceptible to sun scald. Mm-hmm. So, and it has some southern exposure. So, in the summertime, there's a little bit of burning as um, on on those leaves, a little bit more filtered light uh, orientation would be better for this one sure, but but absolutely. it is i mean that doesn't slow it down it's no, it's a happy and vigorous plant yeah and another, another good one I, I don't remember if we were talking about it off break or if it was a collar but somebody was interested in sort of part shade or something and that's another good vine for part shade even even shade i mean you you see it used in gardens where people have it literally climbing up you know canopy trees and, and mm-hmm. it does mm-hmm. quite fine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and actually Actually, a lot of vines tend to do okay in part shade. They may not flower as well, mm. but most of them tend to, you know, I think uh, grape as an example, you know, grape will grow in part shade just fine. Mm-hmm. It may not produce mm-hmm. grapes very well, but sometimes you don't want grapes. Well, there are some, <laughs> of course, there are some varieties of grapes that we grow just for, uh, you know, just for the, the, the foliage, I mean, right. just for the, the fall color. I mean, Vitis quinietiae is a great example of that that's... Uh, uh, you know, a grape that obviously you can eat the grapes, but I mean, the fall color is fire engine red and it's mm-hmm. pretty fantastic. And mm-hmm. it actually does better if it has just a little shaded exposure in the course of its uh, in the course of the day, you know, so it yeah. doesn't uh, get too stressed out in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to remind folks, if you want to give us a call, 1-800-469-4295 is the number to get a hold of us at. In the local Des Moines area, you can call us at 284-1040. You can also send us a text to 
on our website at whoradio.com. You will find information about Kelly and the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. You can link uh, through to both uh, the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden's website as well as Kelly's website to learn more about some of the great things that they're doing uh, there and uh, some of the cool things that Kelly talks about and uh, does as well. So you can see that. You'll also see up on our website a picture that I uh, took from the Smithsonian earlier this week. Uh, I was out at the Smithsonian. Uh, With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Giving a talk and their um, the Smithsonian Gardens owns a fabulous collection of orchids, and uh, they were on display in the Hirshhorn Museum, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. The Modern Art Museum had the orchids on display inside, and it was really cool. uh, quite quite charming Very and cool. quite large, too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you can take a peek at that and uh, see all the beautiful colors that uh, came from that really neat display. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes after the National News and Weather Uh, Here on Gardening Today, News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick with you here this morning. And our special guest in the studio with us today is Kelly Norris from the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. And uh, we've been talking about all sorts of fun things here on the show today, the least of which hasn't been vines, which is not the topic I would have thought we would have brought up today. But you never know. It's okay. The plants du jour. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought, you know, I would ask you guys if there's any other vine yes. that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that you think is noteworthy to bring up at this point. I, I would like to make a plug for annual vines. Mm-hmm. I like playing around. One of my absolute favorites is the moon vine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because I, you know, I work all day. I get home in the evening. That's when it's starting to open up. These big, giant, white moon lunar flowers. I love these. I can do them from seed myself. They work mm-hmm. pretty well. And the other one I want to mention is the hyacinth bean. Mm-hmm. Um, grows very well in one season from from seed. And, and a friend of mine, actually Sue Brenton, gave me seeds from her hyacinth vine. So I'm going to try that this year. Um, grows very fast, has great foliage, and amazing long purple um, kind of droop, not droops, yeah, droops of flowers. Um, so if you want a, a quick uh, wisteria fake, yeah, hyacinth vine is a good one for and that. And it's got purple seed pods too, right? It oh, the does. pods are incredible, yeah. and yeah. they're edible. They're edible. Oh, I didn't I, know they that. They are, in fact. Yeah. I actually learned that was we had a Do you huge have to, like, soak them or something. Well, no, I like... don't. No, I don't know about that. But we had a huge display of them on um, our espalier wall in the cane garden this summer, and I had a, a lovely extended conversation with a patron one day who um, said they're actually a very staple food crop in um, Central American cultures. Because huh. um, could you can you imagine cooking with them? I mean, they're stunning. I mean, these Beautiful yeah. amethyst purple pods, yeah. um, and they last for so long yeah. into the season. I they mean, do. I mean, this year, you know, we had that lovely kind of extended fall, and on November first, uh, Leslie Hunter on my staff was. She said she was almost guilty to have to like cut down the garden, but it was that sort of time to kind of get going on it because the hyacinth beans were still looking really, really good. Yeah. So. Now I have found there's a cultivar called I think it's called Ruby. 
moon maybe ruby something i don't have as much luck with it as i do the the straight old-fashioned non-cultivar hyacinth bean they they grow faster bloom faster and are a little bit more vigorous Mm -hmm. in my in my opinion so i i love that one i tried i couldn't find moonflower for my garden this year so i did a classic um morning glory which is Mm -hmm. related and just didn't quite do it for me it didn't crank my tractor (laughs) Uh, so i'm gonna hold out for the moonflower this year you know the thing i like about something like moonflower or even morning glory too um if you have kids uh they're a good plant to get kids interested in. Mm-hmm. One, they have relatively large seed, mm-hmm. so it's easy for kids to plant that seed. And two, they grow super fast. Yes. And their uh, morning glory in particular is very colorful. And so that's also very enchanting as you move through the season. Now, both of them are not plants you would ever want kids to ingest. No. <laughs> uh, so you got to keep that in mind. But uh, in terms of, you know, I always love these plants that have, for kids, uh, that have nice, easy to use and easy to plant seeds. And Morning Glory is always on my list, along with zinnias and mm-hmm. marigolds. You know, they just have nice. Sometimes you buy seed, and and getting a kid to plant, mm-hmm. <laughs> you Teeny know, impatient thing. seeds is not easy <laughs> to do. <laughs> but if you can find the impatient, and I forget the exact kind that that you can. Um, Flick them and make them make them disseminate oh, their seeds. Yeah. Pop Jewel their seeds out. That. Yes, that's, yes, that's a rela- that's yeah, a relative, isn't it? Impatience. Well, yeah. it's kind of fun. To Impatience balsamina does that too. It's an old cottage garden annual, yeah. and it does exploding seed pods. Exploding like. seed pods. Ooh, I love that stuff. Exciting. All right, so oh, that's it. That's a fun, uh, fun thing to add to the list. There, some annual, and you know, if you're just establishing a perennial vine, um, and you do want instant mm-hmm. color, the annual one is a good potential for the first season um, yeah while the other one's getting it buys you some time as long as it's not so aggressive that it doesn't shade out your perennial right. one <laughs> and and beware too some of these annual vines can be pretty prolific when it comes to seeding i know morning i was pulling out morning glory babies oh, I'm sure um, but it was in a spot where i didn't have to worry about it getting getting loose in other parts of the flower beds so i didn't didn't have to worry too much about it but there are some um cardinal vine is one that mm-hmm. can go a little bananas and um but it's often sold as a as a heirloom mm-hmm. cottage garden type thing, mm-hmm. um, and it, it can go a little nuts. So you know, gardener beware, <laughs> be careful not to burden yourself with an issue later on. Right, right. <laughs> um, I uh, listener Lynn texted in a question. Actually, I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit, but still an interesting plant nonetheless. What can you tell me about Edo peonies? Oh well, Edo peonies. Um, uh, the Ito group is kind of broadly today referred to as intersectional peonies. So um, Ito, uh, Mr. Ito was one of the first uh, uh, progenitors of that group of peonies. So these are hybrids between herbaceous peonies and tree peonies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the nice thing about them is that you get the beautiful kind of exotic flowers of tree peonies, but you get more of the habit and the architecture and the cultural requirements of herbaceous peonies. Um, so it's a nice kind of, you know, marrying of, of both worlds a little bit and they're really really wonderful um you know one of the classic uh, midwestern uh, intersectional peonies is garden treasure bred by uh, don hollingsworth who's uh, one of the, the the venerable peony breeders who actually doesn't live all that far from where we're sitting today he's only 30 minutes from my hometown of bedford iowa and he's right across the border in maryville missouri um okay. don is sold you can uh, 
I mean, Don has is, is, uh, sold his peony business, but you can still order peonies uh, uh, from that company, and they still sell many of his varieties. It's Hollingsworth Peonies. Don Hollingsworth was the, uh, uh, the, the breeder and owner of that company for a long time. His garden treasure is this uh, is a classic collectible. The, you know, and the, thing to, the, the caveat with these intersectionals is that uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like a fine set of pearls in the garden. It's an investment, and, uh, the, but they're plants that are certainly <laughs> going to pay off over the long run because they just kind of get better with age um, and garden treasure um, is just one of the the finer ones beautiful yellow flowers lacy semi double yellow flowers um, and just uh, really handsome uh, hmm. landscape sort of presence kind of a low shrublet I mean it's not a woody plant by any means it's herbaceous but um, it uh, sort of has that presence and architecture in the garden. Um, but there's a whole lot of these out there now. Love Affair is another one that we have at the garden uh, downtown here. And, uh, you know, you really get some pretty exotic-looking flowers and patterns. And they're, uh, they're fine plants, fine plants. Yeah. Now, the Edos also have a little bit of... of claim to fame because that's where so many of the yellows are right which you don't necessarily get in herbaceous that's right and that that was that was actually the major sort of push you know for these is that peony breeders were trying to basically find you know bring in those kind of yellow colors into the herbaceous world those they primarily had only been available um, in tree peonies now there are yellow flowered herbaceous types but they hadn't proved as successful from a breeding standpoint there's a lovely little woodland peony out there that, that some people may have heard of it's jo- uh, referred to as Molly the Witch because it has a very has a mouthful of a botanical name which is um, Peonia Mlokosovicii which is, is a Russian name so it's just Molly the Witch is what it, it's an easier way to sort of talk about the plant but buttery yellow I mean not not the yellowest yellow and it's kind of a greeny buttery yellow and it's a nice woodland peony and it's very hardy and grow it and, and it's fine single um, but you know the, the the Itos were really a channel to bring some of these more exotic patterns. And now, today, some of these hybrids have sort of sunset-colored flowers. I mean, there's kind of orangey-pink mm. influences. And they're just, I mean, this is, these are these are fine jewels. You uh, will open it. your wallet. Uh, you will open your wallet because because if, if you have any desire to have nice things, uh, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll plant nice things and you'll buy Ito or intersectional peonies. Yeah. <laughs> now, Kelly, I'm not as familiar with the Itos, but I know because they're a cross, they are herbaceous, so they will die back, but but they mm-hmm. won't die back all the way. Is that right? There's, there's a little bit of nubbins at the bottom that you don't want to cut away. Yeah, it depends on the variety. I mean, I, some of them have uh, architectures and tendencies that trend a little more towards the the tree side of things. But mm-hmm. um, the most that I've grown with, I mean, you basically treat like an herbaceous peony, and, okay. and you can, uh, you know, cut them back in the spring, and and you'll sort of, I think, see pretty clearly sort of what what uh, where the buds are going to come from the next mm-hmm. year. And mm-hmm. um, so, but you can, for all intents and purposes, culturally think of them um, as herbaceous peonies. But they just sort of have that more exotic and architectural presence of tree mm-hmm. peonies. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the one that always sticks in my mind because it's bright yellow and it's got a very memorable name is Bartzella. Bartzella. Now, Bartzella <laughs> is, is uh, Bartzella and Garden Treasure. I always give the plug to Garden Treasure because it's a Midwestern plant. Um, and Bartzella uh, is of that same generation. They both plants came out in the mid-'80s, and, um, they're both, and they're both still classics. And, you know, these are plants that still, you know, pack a punch. I mean, they're, they're, they're pricey investments, um, or, or can be. I mean, I think they're coming down in price because there's finally been some efforts to get these things into tissue culture so we can produce right. them a little more readily and a little more affordably for people. And I think that those... Uh, th- those efforts are paying off, but uh, Bartzella is a fine plant as well. Mm-hmm. Nice plant. <laughs> and you know, that being said, they're relatively expensive. You know, a 
you know, a, a what? They're usually sold in a three or a five gallon pot, te- typically. I yeah, think, if they're right? sold potted. I mean, you can buy them bare root. Too, yeah. But. Uh, so, like, one that's potted up is probably going to be eighty dollars. Oh, um, at least. At yeah. least. And so, but they're relatively easy to transplant and grow. Yeah, right. Just like right. regular peonies. Yeah, no, they're they're uh, the the price shouldn't inform anything more about uh, about the plant's culture. It, it's just a matter of how that plant has had to come to market, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a slow channel, and it's taken a lot of time and a lot of effort to get that plant to that that point of sale. And so that's really what's commanding that price. Yeah. The peony novices shouldn't be afraid of bare root bargain peonies that you might find at the, the Lowe's or Home Depot in the little plastic bags. Those those will do well, um, and they may take a little time to establish and get to a point where they're robust and floriferous, but if you're wanting to learn and teach yourself about peonies, they're good introductory plants. Yeah, I mean, peonies are really easy to grow, and, if, and from bare root stock, I mean, the biggest lesson to keep in mind is just depth of planting. You don't want to put peony roots too deep, because if they're going to be too deep, you know, those buds take a, you know, it takes a lot of time to get them out of the soil, and they don't bloom right, because that depth is really critical to the plant's success and flowering. So if you're going to start with bare root peonies, which I, I would suggest is is maybe, um, maybe as you pointed out, Melissa, I think the better way to start if you're looking for, you know, just some reasonably good varieties at a, at a reasonably affordable price to get started with, uh, that's the way to go. It's just be really conscious, and, and they all almost always come with a diagram and almost come with instructions about that sort of thing but just make sure you don't put them too deep that's that's mm-hmm. the big thing with peonies yeah. mm-hmm. good piece of advice all right we need to take our next break we'll be back to talk more gardening here on gardening today news radio 1040 who Welcome back to Gardening Today. Aaron Style and Melissa Burdick with you this morning. And in the studio with us is Kelly Norris from the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. We've been talking about some of the things that have been going on at the Botanical Garden and answering a lot of great questions today, too. And I have one more question here for us because today turned into a vine show, and that's great. <laughs> so uh, TJ and Creston asked uh, for some suggestions of shade vines with flowers. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of it. All we of it. everything. Well, we, we, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. Yes, um, yeah. And <laughs> what's the point of having cake if you can't eat it? So, um, For me, with, with vines in general, most vines actually will probably grow in some shade. Most of them are pretty uh, vigorous growing plants, but they may not flower very well in mm-hmm. said shade. Uh, but there are some... There are some things that will flower that that are really well suited for the yeah, shade. Yeah, we were discussing, you know, some of the, our native honeysuckles, our native lanisseras are really sort of mm-hmm. woodland edge plants, lanissera flava. Um, there's a great lanissera out there called Kinsley's Ghost. Um, it's a lanissera reticulata, has beautiful silver uh, kind of sepals, little yellow flowers. Now, again, all these would really just flourish in full sun, but they can take some amount of shade. I mean, my Kinsley's Ghost at home probably doesn't get more than four or five hours of sun a day. Um, and it's certainly smaller than other Kinsley's Ghosts that I've seen in sun, but it's still doing just fine. We were yeah. also discussing climbing hydrangea, which is mm-hmm. um, uh, a fine choice for for shade. Really needs some shade to do to do well. It doesn't like hot root zones and that kind of thing. So it need you know good good something to sort of run up the side of a tree or a wall that's in shade. Um, those are. Those are, are good choices. What was the other one we were mentioning? Where some of it, some of our native clematis, uh, clematis mm-hmm. virginiana, which is so. Melissa was talking about sweet autumn clematis earlier. So the the more the native alternative to that is clematis virginiana, white flowered, fall blooming kind of thing too. And again, it's a rambler kind of at the edge of the woods, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it does well uh, in those situations too. So some of our native clematis actually would do all right in shade. Yeah. So hopefully that helps out a little yeah. bit. 
with that. With I say I always I always crack up. I grew up in the South, so I say clematis, mm. <laughs> and uh, and the proper way to pronounce it is clematis. Well, most Midwesterners, but that's a hard clemat- one to shake. Clematis too. It's, do they? It's, it's cl- yeah. tomato, clematis. Tom- I think Clema- it's a t- t- tomato tomato. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I've always, you know, you run in. I think this is that like tomato tomato, but in the United States as opposed to across the pond kind of thing, because <laughs> there are quite a few people I run into who say. Clematis, mm-hmm. and there are many people I run into who say clematis, That's and fine. I just go with both. I, it's <laughs> dual translation. Yeah, at yeah. That point. <laughs> so Kelly, uh, we have just a few minutes here before the top of the hour, but uh, what are some things going on out at the botanical garden that folks should know about? Well, winter is one of our busiest seasons. I mean, this is a great reason uh, to bring people into the botanical garden. It's the warmest place in town. The, our eighteen thousand square foot conservatory under that iconic dome is host to all kinds of things that are blooming right now. We've had quite a winter run of. Uh, really cool stuff. Some accessions that have flowered for the very first time. A crazy plant with a mouthful of, of a name called Megascopasma has been in flower. A beautiful lipstick-colored flowers. People couldn't miss it. And they, they wouldn't miss it if they came down every Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. right now for Botanical Blues, which is going on. So 2 p.m. this afternoon, we'll kick off with Tina Haas-Findley and her husband, Brandon, Brandon Findley. And we have performances every Sunday um, uh, featuring this tremendous uh, local talent we have in Blues music um, every Sunday through March 2 to 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons um, so that's a that's a great reason to come down on Sundays and I, one of our callers earlier was kind of give a plug for our long-running tradition on Saturdays at, starting at 1030 uh, our learn on Saturday series features uh, experts from uh, all across uh, the region about uh, sundry gardening topics whatever those uh, may be we've got uh, we're about halfway through the season now. That also runs through uh, the end of March. Every Saturday, two lectures starting at 1030. Uh, next weekend, we have uh, Lisa Orgler from Iowa mm-hmm. State coming to talk about structure in the garden. Oh, I'm, I'm a week ahead. Look at this. Feb- that's February 18th. February 11th, we've got uh, Jamie Byer from Ames. Uh, people know him as a wildlife expert. We're going to talk about wildlife in the garden. And uh, our colleague, Leah Wirth from the Iowa Breedom is going to come talk about the collection and the trees at the Iowa Breedom. That's oh, cool. next Saturday, February 11th. Two lectures starting at 10.30. Of course, there's all kinds of programming going on. Probably all the topics we've covered today, houseplants, mm-hmm. etc. We've got classes for people who want to learn more. You can register online at dmbotanicalgarden.com. The full roster of uh, programs are there. You can sign up. You can become a member and uh, take advantage of uh, being in the loop about all those programs as they come online. So. Very a lot of cool. stuff going on at the garden in the winter. Yeah, and we do have a link uh, up on our website at whoradio.com. If you want to get there that way, it gets you there this, nonetheless. nonetheless. So uh, you can go there. We also put up information on how to contact Kelly if you are interested in learning more about uh, the things that he does. He's a wonderful speaker, has several books out as well. So uh, you can learn more about those things uh, on on his website, which you can get to from Gardening Today on uh, whoradio.com. So that stuff is there as well. And uh, I want to remind folks, too, that all of our entries on the website are, are there. So it that makes it kind of a really interesting kind of timely topic kind of list. So if you want to know what goes on in July, just look at July every year for the last five years <laughs> and you will find uh, some, hopefully some very helpful information there from lots of different uh, reliable sources. So uh, always uh, keep that in mind as you are out and about looking for information about whatever it is that you're growing in 
your garden. I think the real question is, uh, mega- what was that? Megascopasma. Where is that from? Okay, so it is, um, <laughs> it is a plant that it, it's, it's basically in the acanthus family. So it's related to things like shrimp plant. People know mm-hmm. justicia, the different kinds of shrimp plants. Okay. And we planted this in 2013. Um, and it was a little plant, about probably four-inch plant. And... Um, as you're walking up the sidewalk to the North Gallery inside the conservatory, you couldn't miss it right now. It's got enormous trusses of lipstick-colored flowers. It's a big shrub now, and it's never hmm. flowered for us this well before. Uh, so it's it's kind of special. It's kind of cool when your little plants grow up in yeah. the big blooming things. So That's cool. Well, uh, folks will have to go there, maybe catch some music or catch a class and see Megascoplasma. Plasma. <laughs> I want to say Megascoplasma, but that's a different thing probably. Megascoplasma. <laughs> All right. Well, Kelly, thank you for being oh, here thank today. You. Thank you. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. pleasure. And uh, we will be back again next week to talk more and answer more of your questions. Thanks to everybody who called in today. We had a wonderful conversation about all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, thanks to Trey for running things in the background. We will be back again next week to talk more gardening here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040 WHO. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.